We are in part three of our series, Right in the Eye. Before I get started on part three, I want to let you know that you don't want to miss part four of this series next week. Next week, we will be looking at the story of the judge named Samson. Samson is the strongest man in the Bible. And if you know anything about Samson's story, you know that next week's message is going to be a bit risque, R-rated. So if you have young kids, you just might want to prayerfully consider whether you want them to hear Samson's story right now. If you don't, please check them in with Hammock Street Kids upstairs. I promise you that Miss Beth will take great care of them. She and her team just love the kids so much. They will care for your children like their, their own children. Now, if you have older kids, you might want to make sure they're here. You might want to make sure your older kids are here with us. And also, if you're looking to invite somebody to church for the first time, next week will be a message that they will not forget. So that might be a good thing to do, too. Anyway, today, before we look at the text, let me pray for you, and then I want to start us off with a question. So one more time, let's pray. Father God, thank you for gathering us together. Open our hearts and minds so we might receive the word you give us and allow it to transform us. We love you, God, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now on to our first question. Do you aspire in life to be like everybody else? Or put another way, do you aspire in life to be average. Have you ever really thought about this? You probably haven't. Because people don't think this way usually. People generally think of themselves as being one of a kind, unique, unlike anybody else. People don't generally aspire to be average. People don't generally aspire to be just like. People don't generally aspire to just go along with the crowd. But with that said, the fact is that most of us are just like everybody else. But hear me when I say this. Today, I don't want to talk about us. I'm not going to talk about us in the room. You guys know all this already, okay? So we're going to talk about everybody else today, all right? Everybody else. Now, not us, but everybody else wants their life to look like a Disney commercial. They want to look great. And they want to be surrounded by other people who also look great. And they want everything to be easy. They want their work to not really be work. They want their work to always be fun and to never feel like work. They want to be entertained all day, every day. They want to be physically fit even though they aren't interested in giving up anything to get there. But they want to be physically fit, those people. They want to stay young. They want to be rich. They don't want to worry. They don't want to worry about anything. Not money, not safety, not debt, not health, not relationships. They don't worry about anything. They want their lives every day to look like this uber-happy family in the Disney World ad. But that's not what real life looks like. In real life, everybody else is worried. 
everybody else fails to enjoy what they do have because they're too busy trying to obtain the things that they don't have. So everybody else eats too much, drinks too much, lays around too much, or resents too much. And though they often look like they're so much happier, the truth is they're not. But notwithstanding that truth, in order to try and match the illusion that they've created, everybody else is willing to do whatever it takes. Now remember, I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about everybody else. Many women, for example, are are willing to abandon their dignity and their values. And then when things don't turn out well for them, they, they have no idea why. And many men are willing to avoid challenges and focus only on things that are easy and things that make them feel good. And they avoid tough things like discipline or stability and commitment. When, and when life doesn't go the way they want it to go, they cannot figure out what happened. Remember, not us, everybody else. In everybody else's world, every teenager, even though they won't admit it, cares intensely about what everybody else in their school thinks about them. And no matter how many times we well-meaning adults tell them, listen, in four years, you won't even know these people. You don't need to worry a lick about what they think of you. The kids just dismiss us as people who couldn't possibly relate to what they're going through. Or as people who couldn't possibly relate to the pressure they're under these days. Because we didn't have pressure when we were younger, of course. In everybody else's world, every young adult is terrified because they don't know if they're going to get a job in an economy that they don't understand or have any control over. So now, after hearing it put that way, I have a question for you. Who would ever want to be like everybody else? But, and I know you know this already, the truth is that all of that happens Because everybody else is taking their cues from who? Everybody else. In fact, even though you're not everybody else, some of you, some of you may, may be taking your cues from everybody else too. And do you want to know something? If you're taking your cues from everybody else, you're going to end up just like, you want to say it together? Everybody else too. Now, the issue with taking our cues from everybody else and then doing what everybody else does is this. When you take your cues from everybody else, you're only taking your cues from what you see everybody else doing. You're only taking your cues from their highlight reel and not from their actual real lives. And in the highlight reels, they're always happy and they're always fit and they're always successful And they're always going places that you're not going. I didn't even know where Fiji was. But I see it on Instagram all the time. People love to go to Fiji for some weird reason. They're always doing things that you're not doing. They always seem to have tons of money. You ever watch those fixer-upper shows and the wife collects insects and the husband cleans Arabian rugs? and their budget is a million and a half dollars for a house? How do they do this? How is everybody else affording these things? They always seem to have tons of money and they always seem to have the perfect job and their marriages and their relationships always seem perfect and they always look so much better than you do. 
but you don't know the things that they're not showing you. You don't know about their arguments that they have off camera. You don't know about their finances. You don't know about their relationships. You don't know about their struggles or their anxieties or their challenges. You have no idea how their kids are doing or whether they even have any friends upon whom they can rely. You just see their highlight reels and then you take your cues from there. And there's another thing you don't know. When you take your cues from everybody else, you don't know what's going on with them on the inside. Happy on the outside doesn't guarantee happy on the inside. I have to tell you, I have yet to meet the person who hasn't said to me, if I'd have known what living like that on the outside meant I would feel like on the inside, I would have chosen to do things differently. But at the time you made the decision to copy everybody else and look where you looked or listen to what you listened to or eat what you ate or drink what you drank or smoke what you smoked or inhale what you inhaled or go where you went or follow who you followed or date who you dated, at the time you made the decision to copy everybody else and embrace a lifestyle or embrace a person or embrace a direction, you just didn't know better. If you'd only have known, if somebody only would have told you, if you could have only seen into the hearts and souls of the people you wanted to be like, or the people that you followed, if you only could have known that living like that on the outside would leave you feeling like this on the inside, you would have made a different decision. All this to say that even though you never actually decided to be like everybody else, You did what everybody else does. And when you did that, you did the same thing that we've been talking about in this series. You did what was right in your own eyes. And in doing that, in doing what was right in your own eyes, you walked away from that which you knew was right in your own heart. And now you're just like everyone else. So I ask again, is that really what you want? Do you really want to be like everybody else? Do you want to keep on being like everybody else? Well, if not, I'm here to tell you, there is a way out. There is available to you today, right now, a different way. Your heavenly father does not want you to be like everybody else. He wants something different for you. And it's available to you regardless of where you are or what you've done to get there. So now to get us there today, we're going to go back to the Hebrew Bible, back to the book of Judges. As a quick review, remember the period in which the book of Judges took place began in about 1380 BC, and it lasted about 300 years. It was during the period in the life of ancient Israel Between the time that Joshua, a member of Moses' general, Moses' right-hand man, brought the people into the promised land, and the time that Saul was chosen by God to be Israel's first human king. See, during this period, the Israelites were to have no human king. They were to be a theocracy, theocracy under God's rule and God's law. And in that theocracy, as it was designed, the day-to-day operation of the nation would fall to a series of judges, one of whom we're going to talk about next week in Samson, another of whom we'll talk about the week after. Now, the period of Judges, with a few minor exceptions, was mostly a big, giant fail. It was a terrible period of time for Israel. 
The people would go through seven cycles, seven periods in which the nation would start off all right, but then devolve into chaos, which necessitated that the people cry out to God, seeking someone to rescue and redeem them. And it happened over and over and over again. God, we disobeyed your law, and now we're in the middle of a mess. Please save and deliver us. And what did God do? God did that. He delivered the nation over and over again because God is a God of compassion and a God of mercy. And he's a God who's promised to never leave or forsake his people. But he's also a God who won't force his will upon anyone. He's not a God who will keep the consequences away from you if you make a bad decision. You have to learn. So over and over again, we see these cycles in the book of Judges. And then at the end of the book, as we talked about in week one, the writer informed us of this. Judges 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel, so everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we could add to that, and it didn't go well. Now, as we saw last week, it didn't go well. Because the nations that the Israelites emulated, the nations that they looked at and said, we want some of that, We want to do some of that. We want to experience some of that. Well, those nations ended up taking Israel into captivity. And it works the same way for us. The thing that has mastered you, the thing that you wished you'd never started because you can't stop, the thing that you fell into because it looked fun, it looked pleasurable, that you can't now get away from, the thing that caught your imagination and has now stolen your time and stolen your money and stolen your relationships and now you find you can no longer say no to it, is that thing working out for you? Well, it's working out for you just like things were working out for the Israelites. It's keeping you captive. All because you're trying to be like everybody else. Now, even that could have been avoided. And even though it could have been avoided, there's still good news because it still can be avoided from now on, from this point forward. And it can be avoided from this point forward by following a very simple piece of advice. It was a piece of advice given to the Israelites by Joshua just before he died. A piece of advice that the Israelites seem to have either not heard or just ignored. So let's have a look at what I'm referring to. We find it in chapter 23 of the, that's the next to the last chapter of the book of Joshua. Book of Joshua immediately precedes the book of Judges. And our particular text comes from Joshua's farewell address. Joshua knew he was about to die, so he gives a farewell address. He's going to leave the people with this message, and here's what he said. So we go to Joshua chapter 23, and first he reminded the people about how God had taken care of them, how God had cleared the way for them. God had cleared the way for them by pushing the enemies of the Jewish people out before them so that they will take possession of their land as the Lord their God promised them. And then Joshua told them to be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. He continued in verse 7. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. In other words, 
Joshua was saying to the people, when you get into the land that God promised you, the promised land, you're going to want to look around and see what everybody else who's already there is doing. And you're going to be tempted to do the same things that the other nations are all about. But don't do that because God has something better in store for you. Now, in two weeks, we're going to look specifically at how that relates to each one of us. And then, as Joshua sent the people into the promised land, he gave the people instructions that they forgot or that they ignored that caused them to mess it up over and over and over again. And it's these verses that we can apply in our lives, even though the nation of Israel didn't apply them in their lives. Because if we'll follow them, we will cease to be just like everyone else. So here's what Joshua warned them, Joshua 23, 12. If you turn away from God and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, verse 13, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your back and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. So Joshua, Joshua was telling the people that even though under the law of Moses, you are called to be hospitable to the people who had been living in the promised land before you arrived, even though you're going to, by definition, live with them and among them, don't embrace their lifestyles. Don't embrace their cultures. And whatever you do, don't worship their gods. You're going to be with them, but you need to be different from them. Don't start taking your cues from the things that they do. Because if you do that, they will become snares for you and traps for you. They'll become whips on your back and thorns in your eyes. I am trying to warn you that if you start looking at them, you'll start drifting toward them. They're doing the things that will look appealing to you, but you have to avoid giving in to them because it's not going to lead you anywhere good. So Joshua was informing them of the danger of looking around. He was telling them to instead continue to look up to God. Otherwise, the things that look attractive to you will eventually ensnare you. Can you relate to that? I mean, it's safe to say there are things in all of our lives that we would say we'd wish we'd never seen that ended up costing us a lot later on. Maybe, maybe you were happy in the house you live in until you saw a friend's house. Maybe you were happy with your car, the air conditioner worked, you could listen to your music, but then you drove in a friend's car. (laughs) Maybe you're happy with your relationship until you saw, well, you get the point. Wouldn't it be nice if you could go back in time and unsee it, or unsee him, or unsee her, or unmeet them? (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice if you can go back in time and not return that phone call, not respond to that text or email, not click on that webpage? Wouldn't it be nice if you could unchoose the direction that you chose that led you to nothing good, that led you to all the bad stuff in your life? Wouldn't it be nice if you could go back and listen to your conscience, listen to your gut, listen to whatever your parents taught you about getting involved in the first place and the thing that led you down such a dark path long ago instead of doing what seemed right in your own eyes? Because when you did that, you fell into a trap just like the nation of Israel did. Things that capture our attention eventually impact the direction of our lives. 
things that capture our attention, capture our affection. And the next thing you know, they determine our direction. And before we know it, we're doing everything just like everybody else. Those things become, as Joshua warned, whips on our back and thorns in our eyes. Though they might seem good in the beginning, invariably they turn out bad, really bad. And when Joshua warned that, once the Israelites found themselves caught up in the trap of being just like everyone else, they'd remain there until they perished from the good land which the Lord God has given you. One of the struggles that the nations of Israel had, and one of the struggles that we all have to one degree or another, was that they couldn't help but think that God was trying to keep something good from them. God was trying to keep something fun from them. God just wants me to miss out on something that's pleasurable. They were always thinking that if they had to obey God's law, they're going to miss out on something. The original instance of FOMO right there, fear of missing out for the older folk. God wanted his people to know, though, that he wasn't trying to keep them from from anything good. He was trying to give them everything good. But Israel couldn't resist. They looked around at all the pagan nations that surrounded them, and they couldn't help themselves. Sorry, God, but it feels like, God, if we say yes to you and following your law, we'll have to say no to all the fun stuff, all the attractive things that the pagans around us are offering. We don't have that kind of willpower, God. So when we're wrestling with the same dilemma, we need to ask ourselves this question. Is God for me or Is God keeping something from me? Do I believe that God is for me as an individual? Or do I believe that by saying yes to God, I'm going to miss out on things that are actually good for me? And here's something that's really interesting, and then we'll get back to today's text. In the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, we can find the very first temptation in history, and it's really similar. The serpent said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden. But did God say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden? And you must not touch it or you will die. And here comes the temptation. The serpent responded to Eve and said this, you're not going to die. God just knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God knowing good And evil translated, God said something bad would happen. You can't trust him. Actually, if you eat the fruit from that tree, something good will happen. God's just trying to keep something good from you, not give something good to you. That's the original temptation. That's the same temptation we still wrestle with today. So we all need to wrestle with the question, is God for me? Or is God trying to keep something good from me? Now, the nation of Israel erred on the side of saying, when we look at the surrounding nations and what they're doing, it looks like God's trying to keep something good from us and not give something good to us. Joshua begged the people not to buy into that lie. He told them that God wants only the best for them. And he was trying to keep them in the good land that he delivered them to. And to to that end, Joshua said to them, back to Joshua 24, throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Get rid of everything that could divert your attention from God, your king. Just get rid of it. And then he made a statement that I'm going to leave you with as as we head into the next few weeks. Here's what Joshua said. 
Throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Yield your hearts. If God's going to be your invisible king, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of conscience. A kingdom of conscience works from the inside out. God wants to do something inside of you that impacts the way that you live on the outside. Now, this is something I have to remind myself of every single day throughout the day. I am constantly praying to God, God, I know I'm aggravated at this person, but please help me to see them as you see them. Please help me to do for them as you tell me to do for them. Help me to see people the way that you see them and treat them the way that you want me to treat them. Help me to see money the way you see it. And help me to use money in a way that strengthens my faith and brings you honor. God, help me to see as you see, so I'll do as you say. Because if I see the world as you see it, then what you ask me to do will make perfect sense. You see, God, I am not interested in being like everybody else. I'm not interested in being like the people who don't know you at all. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of conscience. The kingdom of God always moves from the inside out, which is why Joshua said to his people, yield your hearts. If you yield your heart and allow God to do his will in you, you will be inclined to obey God's will. The kingdoms of the world are kingdoms of covet. Everything this world wants to dictate, everything in this world wants to dictate the way we see the world, the way we think about people, the way we think about money, the way we think about intimacy, the way we think about family, and the way we think about everybody else. That kind of kingdom is an outside-in kingdom. And as Joshua said, those are two incompatible ways of living. We are made in the image of God. The Spirit of God inhabits all of us, which means that there is enough image of God in all of us for us to know that life is better when lived from a healthy inside out instead of letting our hearts be wounded from the outside in. Now, isn't that the way to go? Isn't it true that your greatest regret in life could have been avoided if you were living this way? So now here's the question I want to leave you with today. And this is the place we'll pick up next week as we dig into the absolutely wild story of Samson. As we dig into the story of a man who did everything wrong yet serve God in the end. So here's the question. Have you yielded your heart to the Lord, your God? Have you acknowledged to yourself, I want to live from the kingdom of conscience? I don't want my life to be dictated anymore by the kingdom of covet. I want to live inside out, not outside in. Now to help you with this, I have a little homework assignment for you. I'm not going to collect it, and I'm not going to grade it, so don't worry. Don't give anybody flashbacks of school. Don't worry about that. But I want to encourage you to read what I'm about to show you, and I want to encourage you to read it out loud. And I'm serious. Read it out loud. No cheating, all right? I want you to read it out loud every day for a week. And if it becomes something you memorize and something you quote every day before you get out of bed in the morning, all the better. You don't have to, but if you do, it'll only help. Now, if you want to read what I'm about to show you out loud as a family, or you want to read it out loud as you put your kids to bed, or you want to pray it over your kids, it all works. That'll all be great. Use it however you feel led. And I want you to do it because here's what you know. 
the outside-in way of life is damaging. God wants to do something in you, but it has to come out of you in a way that maybe you've never expected. So here it is. We get it from Psalm 119, verses 35 to 37. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. You can take a picture of that. You can write down the chapter and verse. Do whatever you need. We've all taken many paths in our lives, but we need to begin to see that our delight will be found on the path of God's commandments and on the path of God's laws and on the path of God's statutes. But in order to get on that path, we're going to need to turn. And in order to turn onto that path, it's going to have to come from within, from our hearts. If we can turn in our hearts towards God's command, we'll begin to desire more connection to God than we will desire connection to the things of this world. If we can learn to shun worthless things we will find ourselves even freer to stay on that God-focused path and our lives will be preserved. So what do you think? Will you do this for seven days? Will you do it out loud? Put it on your mirror, put it in your car, put it by your bed, put a note on your phone. And as soon as you get up in the morning, say to God, God, direct me in the path of your commands for there I find delight. God, turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. God, turn my eyes away from worthless things and preserve my life according to this word. If you'll do this, you will be well on your way to living your life from the inside out, ruled by the God who loves you. I promise this could change your life. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for preserving these ancient texts all these years. Please give us the wisdom and the courage to take the next step, whatever it is. Father, help us to lead the people around us, our loved ones, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, and even the people whom we have not yet met to become a people who can authentically join with us as we say, we want to see as you see because we want to live as you would have us live. Father, give us wisdom and give us courage and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.